Podglomerate original. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North and South American, all the ships at sea. Let's go to press. Tonight, the big searchlights are cutting up the Hollywood sky, and the crowds are pouring into the Pantages Theater. It is movie town's brightest hour, Oscar night. In a very few moments, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences will begin handing out statuettes for the best film achievements. It is not a precious work of art, that golden Oscar, but to moving picture people, it looks better than an original by Michael Angelo. And now, before the elect of Hollywood and the millions of listeners in the great 48 states, the annual Academy Award show is underway with the national anthem. Hey, Andrew, I have a question for you. What is it? What do you think is the most prestigious gig that a stand-up comedian can do? Having their own sitcom? No, I just mean like, a, yes, that's a great gig, but I'm talking about just like a, a the one show, one night. Uh, Madison Square Garden, Carnegie Hall, some big theater. Yep, those are all excellent, but in my view, the most prestigious gig that a comedian can do, a stand-up can do, is to host the Academy Awards. Why is the Academy Awards such a big deal? So even if you do a great set on The Tonight Show, like let me, like Roseanne Barr did in the 80s, or Freddie Prince did, and this, we talked about it. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. That's still late-night television. A lot of people probably didn't see it. It can definitely help, help your career. It was, a, as Roseanne said, it was what? It was the greatest moment of her life and, and even better than having her own kids. Yeah, you remember. That was from last season. So that's my contention, that hosting the Oscars is the biggest gig that a, a comedian can do. And that opening monologue, that five to eight minutes, sometimes longer, is watched by not only everyone in the industry, but also a monster television event, both in this country and all around the world. Would you say it's the equivalent of a, a band playing the Super Bowl halftime yes, show? Yes, it is. That would is great point. Great point. That's exactly what it's like. I was thinking in my mind, what could be bigger than that? And that would be if you were a stand-up comedian and you opened the Olympic Games, yeah, <laughs> or the World Cup, or some yeah. sort of international event like that. This this gig, and again, we're on the history of stand-up, has been going on for a long time which makes what happened on December 6th, 2018, that much more remarkable. So I just got a call from the Academy, and um, that call basically said, Kevin, apologize for your tweets of old, or we're going to have to move on and find another host. This is Kevin Hart from his Instagram. I chose to pass. I passed on the apology. The reason why I passed is because I've addressed this several times. I'm not going to do it, man. I'm going to be me. I'm going to stay on my ground. Regardless, Academy, I'm thankful and appreciative of the opportunity. If it goes away, no harm, no foul. A few days later, Kevin Hart went on Ellen's show. Yes, and she had hosted the Oscars twice in 2007 and in 2014, and she was insisting that he take this gig. I think it was, I think it was right after I hosted the Oscars, we went to dinner. Yes. Uh, and we talked about you hosting the Oscars, mm -hmm. that it was a dream of yours. You've always wanted to host the Oscars. I said you should host the Oscars. Mm -hmm. Then you get asked to, I mean, it must have been amazing when they asked you to host this year. I'm real. Uh, it's the Super Bowl performance, like you said. You're, yeah, you're saying no to the Super Bowl. You're saying no to the Super Bowl. Because I, uh, I think that the night will be about you and 
it should be about you and you should host the Oscars and I'm going to talk you into it after this. Is this the first time it's ever well, happened? Well, first of all, we don't know what comedians were asked to host the Oscars in private and then said, no, I don't want to do it. But this had actually happened before, not directly, but in 2011, Eddie Murphy was announced as the host. For the first time, a host of the Oscar telecast has quit. Eddie Murphy bowed out today after his friend Brett Ratner resigned as the producer. And Eddie Murphy said, if he's not going to produce, I'm not going to host. So there is kind of a precedent of, which is weird because Eddie Murphy, if they combed through Eddie Murphy's raw stand-up. Yeah, I'm sure many comedians have material that people might find offensive. Of course. So with what happened with Kevin Hart in 2019, they ended up going with no host for the Oscars. Has there ever been another Academy Awards without a host? Yes, not just one, five. This is the sixth one we just had. Six out of 91. So do you know what percentage of no host shows that is? Uh, it, it's more than five. It's less than six. That's close enough for us. But my point is, this episode is about comedians hosting the Oscars and performing on the Oscars. And when we talk about that, we have to start with the guy who hosted the show more times than anyone else. Mr. Bob Hope. Welcome to the History of Stand-Up, the show where comedian and professor Wayne Fetterman teaches us all a little bit more about the history of stand-up. And I'm your fellow student, Andrew Steven. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are once again. Welcome to the Academy Awards, or as, as it's known at my house, Passover. <laughs> But here I am again, giving out the Oscars and smiling. I'm something new, a method loser. <laughs> no, I'm a two-time loser. This year, not only wasn't I nominated, on Hollywood Boulevard, they just put a manhole cover over my star. So how many times did Bob Hope host the Academy Awards? He hosted it, believe it or not, 18 times. That's 18 out of 91. How how many times was the next closest host? Yeah, it's not even close. It's nine. And that's Billy Crystal. That's, yeah, that's half. Yeah, that's an easier math problem. And the first time he hosted was February 29th, 1940. That's, I had to be a leap year, right? Was the show always like it's been when, you know, when we think about the Oscars no, today? No, 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 no. Early on, it was just in like hotel rooms. It started out at the Roosevelt Hotel and the Blossom Room and then the Ambassador and then the Biltmore Hotel downtown. But it was just like a dinner, not in a theater. And so when he first started hosting, uh, it was just this industry dinner that they did. And a lot of times people even knew beforehand who was going to win. But so here is Bob from the very first night he ever hosted. President, thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very happy to be here tonight. Anyway. <laughs> you know me, I'm just the man who came to dinner. <laughs> really, I think this is a wonderful thing, a benefit like this for David Selznick, and I want to tell you, <laughs> I really had a sneaky idea that they were going to give me an Oscar tonight because I saw one of them with a surprise look here. 
Who's David Selznick? I don't get that joke. This is one of these recurring motifs that's happened as I look back at these monologues, that some of the biggest laughs are based on topical references. David Selznick was the producer of Gone with the Wind, which was up for a slew of awards, won many, including the Best Picture. One of the things I remember about Bob Hope from season one is that he sort of popularized opening a show with a topical monologue. In particular, having a staff of writers on call to write jokes for him, whether it's for the Oscars or to punch up his movies or for personal appearances. So he was kind of like a, a comedy factory with a bunch of people just working around the clock to keep the Bob Hope machine humming. It's very hard for me to describe to you exactly how massive Bob Hope was in this country because there's no comedic equivalent to him. He's just this like huge, iconic figure that cast a shadow over the entire comedy world. Comedy today is just way too niche, so we can't have that. But in mid-20th century America, especially for the greatest generation, this was the guy. He hosted the Oscars. He was in movies. He was in movies with Bing Crosby. He was doing this popular radio show. He toured. And on top of all of that, he became the guy who was identified with traveling the world all the time to entertain our troops. And all of that contributed to this legendary status that he had, this beloved relationship he had with the American people until the Vietnam War. A war that divided the nation and caused a large group of people to begin viewing Bob Hope as this corporate establishment guy. He last hosted in 1978. So from 1940 to 1978, that's before Pearl Harbor and through the end of the Vietnam era. And it's very easy to look around the audience and pick out who the contenders are. They're the ones that look like they're listening for their draft numbers. So for this 38-year span that Bob Hope was hosting the Oscars, not every time, were there any other stand-up comedians that hosted the Academy Awards? Yes, there were two notable comedians. One was a famous radio star, Jack Benny. So Jack Benny hosted the Academy Awards twice, and... Here's comedy historian Cliff Nesteroff. His legacy as a film comedian was tainted by his own self-deprecation. I'm from the horn blows at midnight. This is really a return engagement for me. You see, I was master of ceremonies for the Academy three years ago, and I'm back here again tonight. And, of course, fortunately, I've had other work in between. I mean, I... He starred in a smash success that's still considered a classic of film comedy called To Be or Not To Be, directed by Ernst Lubitsch, starring Jack Benny, making fun of the Nazis while the war is still going on. This movie had such staying power that Mel Brooks remade it. So this is the period that he's hired to host the Academy Awards. You know, I um, uh, made a picture once where I thought I might have a chance for an award. I made it with Lubitsch, a picture called To Be or Not To Be, which I was a comedian who played Hamlet, but I had so much trouble in that picture, too. In fact, Lubitsch got so mad at me that when the picture was over, instead of cutting the film, he bit out the part that he didn't want. 
I finally saw the picture, I think he swallowed the best part of it. I mean, of course, I was disappointed anyway. It was supposed to have been made in technicolor, you see, but we had to go back to black and white because due to a peculiar pigment in my skin, I photographed plaid. He's, he's well-known, not just as a radio comic, but as a major movie star. And if you look at his uh, filmography, he had already made many, many movies for both Fox and for Paramount. The Meanest Man in the World and Buck Benny Rides Again were two movies based on his radio program that co-starred Eddie Rochester Anderson, a black comedian co-starring in a movie with a major white comic. This was revolutionary for the time. That's incredible. I mean, I learned a little bit about Jack Benny last season from you, but it's just scratching the surface of everything that he did. That's the that's the magic of Cliff Nesteroff. And so who was this other comedian you were talking about? Danny Kay. Do you remember him from last season? He with the George Carlin connection? Exactly correct. Danny Kay was George Carlin's idol. Carlin wanted Kay's career. But Kay is very important in the history of stand-up, and I must be clear that he's not strictly a stand-up comedian. Kay was more of an entertainer. He did a lot of patter songs and dancing and acting. But besides the Carlin connection, Danny Kay is the first comedian to develop and be discovered in the Catskill Mountains, an area known as the Borscht Belt. Now, I want to digress for just one minute. Working in the Catskills was really... The most important, one of the most important steps in, in the particular career that I am pursuing. You see, years ago, they used to have vaudeville and cafes and burlesque shows all over the country. And there was a kind of a, uh, a spawning ground for young, talented people to be able to develop. And as the movies came in, as the vaudeville theaters closed all over the country, there was really no place for young people to get started. And strangely enough, the Catskills became one of the most important places for developing and fostering new talent. And that is the voice of Danny Kay from an interview he recorded in 1949, three years before he hosted the Academy Awards. Before we tackle tonight's awards, a brief word to the winners on the subject of thank you speeches. In recent years, the Academy has been criticized for trying to cut these speeches short. Now, it is true that various subtleties have been employed in the past, like uh, trap doors, <laughs> disappearing mics, and one year they had an ex-blocking back from Penn State. Well, this time the Board of Governors of the Academy has asked me to announce that there'll be no attempt to muzzle anyone. However, the rule of prudence should prevail. If your work on a picture merits an Oscar, the Academy asks that your speech be no longer than the movie itself. <laughs> During this period, the Oscars went through two major transformations. One was they moved out of those ballrooms. Remember we were talking about that? Right, just those small industry dinners. Yeah, now they've moved it to big theaters like Grauman's Chinese Theater. It's still there up on Hollywood Boulevard. They had the shrine. They were at... Pantages Theater, and then eventually the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion and the Santa Monica Civic Center, and now the Dolby. But in 1953, everything is about to change for the Oscars because for the first time, the movie industry decides to put this award show on television. 
the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences 25th Annual Academy Awards. Here in the Pantages tonight is the world's most glamorous audience, nearly 3,000 strong, all waiting to see the Oscars handed out. March 19th, 1953. This is really when the Oscars became a national event. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bob Hope. Thank you very much, Mr. Brackett. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Suspense. <laughs> I am very, very, very happy to be here at the Academy Awards 25th Annual Awards Show. This is Hollywood's most exciting giveaway show. <laughs> but isn't it exciting to know that a lot of these glamorous stars are going to be in your homes tonight? All over America, housewives are turning to their husbands and saying, put on your shirt, Joan Crawford is coming. <laughs> Television, that's where movies go when they die. This unlikely marriage between the film industry and the television industry couldn't have gone better. Up until this time, those two industries were kind of at war with each other. Television was free and getting more popular, while motion pictures were losing a large portion of their paying customers. Warner Brothers wouldn't show a television or even mention TV in any of their films. But guess what? The viewership for this Oscar show was not only the biggest show of the week or the month, it had the largest viewership of any TV show broadcast up till that time. Okay, so I see. So this is really when the Academy Awards became that big, prestigious, Super Bowl-like event for a stand-up comedian to host. And now our master of ceremonies. A young comedian I have always enjoyed. In the last 24 hectic hours, I have learned to respect him. Mr. Jerry Lewis. Ladies and gentlemen, you are here tonight to our live television performance of I'll Cry Tomorrow. <laughs> we are gathered here tonight, ladies and gentlemen, for the annual Academy Awards, formerly known as Disneyland. <laughs> as you probably know, last year Bob Hope was the master of ceremonies and he did a very, very wonderful job and they tried terribly hard to get him to do it again this year. But unfortunately, he couldn't be located. He was at home. <laughs> Just to give you an idea of how Bob travels, and he travels quite a bit, the stickers on his trunk are marked anywhere. <laughs> anywhere, it's a form of a gag, oh heavens. <laughs> but Bob is really a wonderful guy, and he's always going somewhere to do something for someone specifically entertaining the troops. And you may not know this, but Bob has a very, very fine grown son, and he had to enlist just to see his father. <laughs> That's also in the form of a gag. The straight lines you'll kind of get, and these gags will seem a little questionable, but help me, won't you? <laughs> Before I go any further, ladies and gentlemen, I should like very much to thank Mr. Jack and Trotter and the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas 
where Dean and I are currently appearing, for allowing us to appear here tonight. And I must publicly thank my good partner, Dean Martin, because last night in Las Vegas, at the roulette wheel, he arranged it so that we will be in Las Vegas for five more years. <laughs> Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis broke up four months after that comment. You remember Johnny Carson from our last season? Yeah, he he definitely, as hosting The Tonight Show, he broke a lot of comedians and, and made them famous and gave them a career. And then he also did a monologue in the style of Bob Hope, of course. And he follows Bob Hope in 1979 and hosts for four straight years. A lot of people thought that he set a new gold standard for hosting the Oscars. A critic recently described him as a national treasure, and we share that opinion. The Academy is proud to welcome Mr. Johnny Carson. It makes sense that Johnny Carson would be good at hosting. I mean, he did a monologue every night on The yeah. Tonight Show. But Johnny Carson, he wasn't a movie star. Yeah, exactly. That's a great indication of both the power of Johnny Carson and the growing cultural significance of this Oscar broadcast. Again, Carson's just a late-night talk show host. Jerry Lewis, Danny Kaye, Jack Benny, Hope, they all had significant movie careers. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Howard, thank you for the very flattering remarks. As you well know by now, this is the 51st Annual Academy Awards. Two hours of sparkling entertainment spread out over a four-hour show. <laughs> I, uh, you know. Now, a lot of people who come to these affairs try to act blasé, and I'll have to be very honest with you. I am very thrilled to stand up here tonight and gaze out on this glorious throng of beautiful people. I see a lot of new faces, especially on the old faces. So even though there was a trend of stand-ups and comedians hosting the Oscars, there was still a lot of actors and other people in movies that were hosting. Exactly. Goldie Hawn and Alan Alda and Jack Lemmon and Warren Beatty and Jane Fonda and David Niven and Frank Sinatra and Dick Powell. All of them co-hosted or hosted during this time period, and so did many others. But what many people believe is the greatest stand-up of all time joined the list of Oscar hosts. And now... To start the awards program, Richard Pryor. Hi. I'm here tonight to explain why no black people will ever be nominated for anything. <laughs> Black people love to act. We can cry at the drop of a hat. <laughs> or laugh. <laughs> These are some of the things Black people can do. We're also going to stop entertaining. That will show you. <laughs> we refuse to be in show business altogether. We are quitting. Then see who sings and dances for you. 
You will have to listen to Lawrence Welk forever. <laughs> Try to boogaloo to that. You know, when I think about the presenters for the big awards at the end of the night, I always picture the most acclaimed actors and directors. That is true, but in 1988, during the comedy boom, they used two comedians to close out the award ceremonies presenting the most prestigious awards. In order not to violate the writer's strike... This is Robin Williams. I will be channeling the spirit of George Jessel. <laughs> Thank you. To present the Best Director Award. If I can have a moment, please. Oh, you come now. Before I do that, I just want to know, why are there no Jewish evangelists? Someone comes up going, my leg. He goes, your leg, my arm, I can't play tennis. Okay. <laughs> Let us continue. And then Eddie Murphy. At first, when they uh, came to me and he said they wanted me to uh, present the award for Best Picture, my management came and they told me that the Academy had picked me in. And my first reaction was to say, no, I ain't going. And I said, my manager said, but, but why? The white manager said, I tell us. But why? And I said, I said, I'm not going because they haven't recognized black people in the motion picture. And he said, what are you talking about? Black people won Oscars. I said, well, black actors and actresses that have won Oscars throughout 60 years was like, uh, I think, um, Hattie McDaniels won the first one. Then um, Sidney Poitier won one, and Lou Gossett won one. And I'll probably never win an Oscar for saying this, but hey, what the hey, I gotta say it. Um, actually, I might not be in any trouble, because the way it's been going is about every 20 years we get one, so we ain't due for about, to about 2004, so. <laughs> By that time, it's all blown over. I said I wasn't going, and my man said, you just have to go, you can't snub the Academy. So I came down here to do, give the award. I said, but I just feel that we have to be recognized as a people. I just want you to know, I'm gonna give this award, but black people will not ride the caboose of society and we will not bring up the rear anymore. I want you to recognize us. He said, well, fine, it's done. I said, no, when do I have to be? They said, well, you don't have to get there to about nine or 10 because it's the last award of the evening. So, <laughs> I'm And with that speech, Eddie Murphy foreshadows the Oscar so white controversy that happens almost 30 years later. Robin Williams, Eddie Murphy, they're, they're not hosting the Oscars. No, they're just presenting because they're stand-ups, and the Academy loves stand-ups on the show. Sometimes if you do great... Then they might ask you to host or co-host the Oscars. Yeah, this has happened a few times. I'm here to give the award for best sound. As you know, in movies, art, art, like movie. No, in that, it's, it's art that people don't, or people don't... Mixer, people who movie make it when you leave on songs or perhaps lies the influence found in movies. I and that of course is Billy Crystal. Two years later, Billy Crystal hosted the Oscars for the first time. Wow. So where was I? <laughs> Growing up, Billy Crystal is who I knew as the host of the Oscars. I didn't even realize that they had other hosts at the time. Yeah, he was like the new Bob Hope for that generation. This is our greatest year ever. Do you know the box office this year worldwide was over $5 billion? Thank you. $5 billion, or roughly half of what Jack Nicholson made on Batman. This is a rich man. He just bought land in Japan. No, I'm telling you, Jack is so rich, Morgan Freeman drove him here tonight. I'll tell you that right now. Whoa. I got it. You want one more? I got one more. You got it? 
Jack is so rich, John Peter still cuts his hair. Wow! Where does he get him from? And what Crystal did, he brought a couple new wrinkles to the hosting gig. Yeah, I feel like he would always have like a song that's parodying the, the movies of that year. This is the story about a man named Corleone. This man killed everyone, so now he's home alone. Not a very nice guy. Shot Mo Green in the eye. So tell me why his hair is seven inches high. Godfather three, let there be more. And put Duval in Godfather 4. When you're in a coma and the doc gives you El Dopa, awakening. I was really proud that, you know, as a, as a host, we stretched the boundaries of what an MC could do. This is from an interview Billy Crystal did with Larry King. You know, on the show, and that's why I think. You know, I had a good time, and the audience hopefully did too as we went along. So you try to do different things. And then when you can't think of something new, then don't, don't do it anymore. He did four in a row when he started hosting. They loved him so much. And then when he came back, he added another wrinkle where he would edit himself into scenes from the nominated films. And these were directed by a guy named Troy Miller, who was the director of Mr. Show. And Troy had utilized this technique earlier on the MTV Music Awards using Janine Garofalo and Ben Stiller. And that took Billy's hosting status to an even higher level. Even after all the years, it, you, for me, the pressure started to become, can I be better than I was last year? Can I top, top myself? <laughs> yeah, and that's a, that's a hard thing to, to do. And then you realize, I don't have to. I and look who failed at Letterman failed. Yeah, it's you know it's not an easy audience. No, no. You would guess it's a supportive audience. Um, you would think. Sometimes yes, sometimes terrific. But the first moments of that show, Larry, they're nervous, right? It's a it's a it's a equal playing field, right? The runners are in the starting gate, right? <laughs> and they're competitive. And they're competitive. In the first five or six rows, everyone's in uncomfortable clothes. <laughs> the lights are on. As a performer, I hate seeing the audience. I don't like seeing them. But I especially don't like seeing the biggest stars in the world looking at me going, please be good. What was that David Letterman thing they were talking about? That Letterman thing? Uh, oh, it was this. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 67th Annual Academy Awards. I won't lie to you. I'm very, very excited and I've been dying to do something all day, and I think maybe we can take care of this. Oprah? Uma? Uma? Oprah? I feel much better. Okay, yes, that might have been an awkward way to begin the ceremony, but Letterman didn't do a terrible job hosting that show and didn't get horrible reviews. He is actually fine, 
But he, year after year on The Late Show, would refer to that evening as terrible and horrible and it was a disaster. And that calcified in the American public this image of him bombing on the Oscars. You know what's weird? I was scared when I was hosting the show because I got to sit there and I got to watch... I probably watched 100, you know, 70, whatever, Oscars. I watched all the Oscars. This is Chris Rock talking with Letterman about hosting the Oscars. And I watched when you hosted. Yeah. And people, Oh, man. Right. But you know what? <laughs> I was scared because I liked it. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a bad I was sign. watching and I was laughing. I'm like, what's the problem? <laughs> and everybody's like, you can't be like no, Letterman. No, you can't do that. No matter what you do, don't do what Letterman did. They stopped. After I did that uh, award show, they stopped making movies for a year. Wow. For a year, nobody made any movies. So the trend was on, and stand-up comedians were go-to hosts. So then we have Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, by the way, I've been asked to issue a reminder to the people here in the audience. Please remember to behave responsibly at the parties after the show. Apparently last year, some producer got so drunk he left her with a woman his own age. <laughs> we have Steve Martin. When they asked me back in January if I would host the Oscars, the first thought that came into my mind was, would there be enough time for my facelift to heal? <clears throat> I love welcoming the young stars to show business because it reminds me of my own death. <clears throat> see, how are we doing on time? Oh, we got five hours. Um, let's see. We have Chris Rock. Now I love animation. I love animation because in the world of animation, you can be anything you want to be. If you're a fat woman, you can play a skinny princess. If you're a short, wimpy guy, you can play a tall gladiator. If you're a white man, you can play a, a, an Arabian prince. And if you're a black man, you can play a donkey or a zebra. <laughs> now, we have John Stewart. Steven Spielberg is here. Sir, a pleasure. We've never met. A Best Director nomination for Munich. A tremendous film, and I congratulate you, sir. From the man who also gave us Schindler's List. Schindler's List and Munich. I think I speak for all Jews when I say, I can't wait to see what happens to us next. We have Ellen. This is a, you know, I just got to say right now, this is a big night for me because this really has been a dream of mine since I was a little girl. I've always wanted to host the Academy Awards. And so uh, it's a dream come true. So, and I assume for you in the audience that it's a dream come true for you as well. Not that I'm hosting, that would be weird because... You didn't know me, but for you to be here, and uh, because if you had that dream when you were a kid, then it would be weird that we're here on the same night that you had a dream of me hosting, and then you're here also nominated. But I really did. I just, I, I grew up, and I, and I, I think most people dream of, of winning an Academy Award. I, I had a dream of, of actually hosting the Academy Awards, and so uh, let that be a lesson to you kids out there. Aim lower. Hollywood, that magical mecca movie land, fountainhead of the celluloid fantasy whose shining shadow flickers around the full circumference of our troubled world. 
So it seems like even though these comedians and stand-ups are hosting the Academy Awards, they're not often the ones who are winning. Exactly. They present, they bring laughter, they entertain the industry. But win an Oscar? Uh, the list is very short. Whoopi Goldberg won for Ghost. Robin Williams for Goodwill Hunting. Red Buttons, you probably don't even know that name. He won for Sayonara. George Burns. Sunshine Boys, Monique, Precious, Jamie Foxx, the only one. For, for Ray, for Best Actor. Yeah, he's the only one to win a Best Actor one. And for writing, we have Jordan Peele and this guy. And the winner is Mel Brooks for the producer. I want to thank the Academy of Arts, Sciences, and Money for this wonderful <laughs> award. Uh... Well, I'll just say what's in my heart. Ba-bump, 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 ba-bump. But there is one comedian who has received far and away more Oscars and Oscar nominations than any other comedian, and it's Woody Allen. In 1978, he was nominated for Best Picture, Best Writer, Best Director, won all three in the same night, did not show up to the ceremony at all. You know why? Was he playing the clarinet? Yes, he was at Michael's Pub. I, I don't know why I know that, but I do. Yeah. yeah, there's not many people who don't show up to this ceremony. For many, it's a career-defining achievement, the first line in their obituary. And Woody Allen was like, I can't endorse this idea that a movie can be the best as opposed to just my favorite. And then throughout the years, he won many more Oscars for writing these movies Never showed up to the ceremony. We never thought we'd see him, but that all changed in 2002. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure and my honor to introduce Mr. Woody Allen. Thank you. Thank you very much. That Makes up for the strip search. <laughs> Let me tell you why I'm here exactly. Uh, about four weeks ago, I was sitting home in my apartment in New York, and the phone rang, and a voice on the other end said, this is the Motion Picture Academy Arts and Sciences. And I panicked immediately, because I thought that they wanted their Oscars back. <laughs> Because I've won a few Oscars over the years, and I thought they, you know, that they were calling to get them back. And I panicked because the, the pawn shop has been out of business for ages, you know, and I have no way of retrieving anything. And Okay, so what I'm learning is that Bob Hope set the trend of stand-ups hosting the Academy Awards, and, and he was the first one to do it. Well, not exactly there were actually three comedians who hosted this ceremony before Bob Hope. Who were they? I'm going to tell you in a moment, but I'm just going to warn you, this is a deep dive, and I'm afraid we're going to lose some listeners. Let's do it. They are Will Rogers, George Jessel, and Bob Burns. Will Rogers sounds familiar. What do you know about him? Westerns? Very good. He was known as the cowboy philosopher. He actually started just doing rope tricks with a lasso. 
there's a debate amongst comedy historians about whether he is actually a stand-up. Some people believe that. I do. Here's Cliff Nestroff again. But at the time, he was not considered exclusively a stand-up. Because? The, well, one, the phrase didn't exist. Yeah. And two, because he was most famous as a newspaper columnist. One of the best ways to become nationally famous was to have a newspaper column that was syndicated in hundreds of newspapers around the country. And Will Rogers was a beneficiary of that. He became a syndicated columnist in 1922, and he wrote humor columns, and they became very popular and made him very, very famous. He was also in movies. He was on Broadway. He was in the Ziegfeld Follies. He was on vaudeville. He was on stage shows. He was on radio. Anyway, Will Rogers hosted in 1934 at the Ambassador Hotel, and he was the first one to make a huge mistake while presenting. Well, luckily for Will Rogers, there's no recording of this, but here's what happened. There were two Franks nominated for Best Director, Frank Capra and Frank Lloyd. Frank Capra remembers the night vividly. And everything he said applied to me, of course. He began to describe this young man that had come up from nowhere in motion pictures and had now reached the pinnacle. And then finally he said, and now come up and get it, Frank. I got up and said, excuse me. It was a long walk to the, to the dance floor. I see that the spotlight is on Frank Lloyd. And he goes up and gets the award. And I stay there on the floor with a lot of egg on my face, naturally. And the longest walk I ever had was coming back through those same people, applauding like mad for Frank Lloyd and me trying to duck under their hands and get back to that table. I wish there was a recording of this gaffe because the Oscars were broadcast on radio before it went to television, but this happened even before the Oscars aired on network radio. Tragically, a year after this ceremony, Will Rogers, America's first great political comedian, died in a plane crash in Alaska. Next up was George Jessel, who hosted at the Biltmore Hotel in the Crystal Ballroom. Jessel was this multi-talented guy. He started as a kid in vaudeville. He would sing. He would tell jokes. He became a producer. He originated the role of the jazz singer on Broadway before it became a movie. And he gained notoriety for this comedy routine way back in the 20s, where he would call his mom on the telephone and you would only hear half the conversation. Kind of like Bob Newhart. And Shelley Berman, years before they did it. Would you like to hear me call my mother on the telephone? <laughs> Mama, Georgie, your son from the money every week. How are you? <laughs> How would you like that bird I sent you home for the parlor? You cooked it? <laughs> that was smart. That was a South American bird. He spoke five languages. He should have said something. <laughs> was that the same comedian Robin Williams was impersonating earlier? Yep. I think that was one of the voices he did in Aladdin also. He, yes. He did Jessel a lot because he had that distinctive slurry and slushy kind of voice. And... Jessel was also later known as the Toastmaster General. Like Jeff Ross. Who is the... Roastmaster General. Exactly. You're learning. 
And I have to say, Bob Burns, I'm, I don't really know much about this guy. He was one of these folksy, homespun comedian slash humorist in the style of like Will Rogers, who had a radio show and a column and used to play an instrument called the bazooka. And that's where the term bazooka comes from, an instrument he created from making a fake trombone using material from a hardware store. So the military weapon was named after this comedian's fake instrument that he made. Bob Burns. We were, I took Grandma down here to the show, down to the style show, where they were showing them bathing suits. And one of them girls come walking down this runway, and she had on one of them one-piece suits, and Grandma looked at her, and finally Grandma turned to me, and she says, Robin... If we had wore them kind of things when I was a girl, what a grandpa I could have give you. I know the Oscars are all about awarding excellence in movies. No question. But until we talked, I would have never realized how much stand-ups and comedians played a role in the presentation. Yep, that's what this episode was all about. I was struck by the fact that no matter how these comedians started... They end up at this incredible event. Like Will Rogers began in Wild West shows, traveling. George Jessel, Bob Hope, Jack Benny, they're all vaudeville guys. Danny Kaye and Mel Brooks, they came from the Borscht Belt. Jerry Lewis teamed up with Dean Martin in a nightclub in Atlantic City run by the Mafia. Carson and Letterman hosted the show, began as local broadcasters in Omaha and Indiana. Richard Pryor started developing his act in Greenwich Village. And now we have a bevy of comedy clubs slash comedy boom comics like Billy Crystal and Whoopi and Chris Rock and John Stewart and Nellen. But no matter where they began, whether it's in a open mic trying to get on at a comedy club or at a small theater at the low end of the vaudeville circuit, they all ended up being part of this great tradition. This is it. Your time is through. You're boring. <laughs> You're rambling on. No end in sight. You're boring. The History of Stand-Up is no written and produced by Wayne Fetterman and me, Andrew Steven. Executive produced by Jeff Umbro and The Podglomerate. You can find more of their podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. Special thanks to Cliff Nesteroff, whose book, The Comedians, is available everywhere, and the Abraham Comedy Archives. Some of the music in this episode is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Please follow us on Twitter at HistOfStandUp and online at TheHistoryOfStandUp.com. If you like the show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.